Welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Ingrid Cochran. We are going to have a great show today focused on how we heal from complex PTSD. Uh, This topic is extremely important and really highlights some of the issues that we have in our mental health field and and also the field of psychology. And um, and we want to focus on how um, the field of mental health and psychology really can um, do a better job of of diagnosis and um, going through the process of screening when it comes to trauma. And today we're going to have our guest, Miss Mary Giuliani, and she's going to talk about her new book, which just launched um, on February 21st. So we're, we're, we're very cutting edge today. We're very excited. The name of the book is It's Not About Food, Drugs, or Alcohol. It's About Healing Complex PTSD. And so thank you for joining us today, Mary. Um, please take this time to introduce yourself to the audience and tell the audience anything they need to know about you. Well, thank you so much, Ingrid. It's a, a pleasure to be here. Um, well, I am a uh, master certified coach and I've been working, I'm a trauma and re- re- resilience coach. And so um, I didn't realize I had trauma until I was 57 years old. And that's what prompted me to write this book. So I work with uh, people that uh, have had difficult childhoods who struggle with obesity or substances or relationships. And um, I'm delighted to be able to share what happened to me and how profound it's been for me to heal the root cause of these major issues. Well, we're excited to have you today. And I think this is an important topic. Like I said before, um, I have read a bit about your background and about the book. And what stood out for me is, I think it's a reflection of how the field of psychology and, and one that I'm a part of a, a lot of a lot of us know that I am a psychology professor. Um, how the field has not done a great job of diagnosing, screening um, when it comes to trauma and um, and being able to recognize, you know, the symptoms of trauma. And so often um, the misdiagnosis is looking at kind of the symptoms as opposed to the root cause. Mm-hmm. I thought that your story really resonated with me because of that. You know, it's kind of like in my work when I first got into the field, it was because of the the work that I did with young children who were juvenile offenders. And obviously um, those children were dealing with complex PTSD. They had right. um, several stressors in their childhood, many coming from neighborhoods dealing with community violence, many coming from backgrounds where they had physical and sexual abuse. And I don't believe that that was really being addressed in their treatment. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that it is uh, something that uh, is overly impacting, you know, uh, communities of color, but then also women. And we have a history in, in our, um, in this field of treating women's issues uh, as more focused in biology, the differences between men and women when it comes to biology, as opposed to the traumatic experiences that women have in our society. 
Mm-hmm. So I thought that this conversation would be very needed and may help, you know, someone who's listening and has, um, you know, a, a, may have had a difficult childhood or um, is really searching for um, kind of the root cause when it mm-hmm. comes to their own issues. So, you know, tell us more about why you wrote this book. Okay, sure. Well, I had... Uh... I had grown up in a, a pretty dysfunctional, chaotic, alcoholic home. My mom was an alcoholic. Uh, when I turned about eight or nine, she started drinking alcoholically. But even before that, hmm. I noticed when I was at least five years old that there was a lot of tension between my parents and my dad coped by using food. And hmm. so that was really what was modeled and was available. So I started using food as well because as a child, I couldn't really feel okay unless my parents were okay. And so I started gaining weight and started getting bullied and then just kept gaining weight. And, and then especially when my mom started drinking. And so as the years rolled by, my mom's drinking got worse and she would rage at my dad and keep us up all night. And um, so by the time I was 16, I started drinking uh, and smoking pot and cigarettes and and it was like an elixir sent down from the gods for me, literally. The first time I drank, it was like, oh, my God, this is the best feeling I've ever had in my life. I have to get more of this. Yeah. And it was like a peak experience. And so, um, you know, I really got heavily into being a partying person. And and then my weight kept on escalating because of all the beer I drank. And um So by the time I was 27, I was over 300 pounds, drinking, smoking pot every day, cigarettes, um, and got sober in AA, uh, went to OA, lost 140 pounds. Um, And even though I had, you know, gotten sober, lost my weight, I was still struggling with food and my weight would still, you know, gain like 20, 30 pounds. And then once the end of a relationship hit, um, and by the way, I'd come out also as a lesbian in Catholic high school. So that was another stressful thing. So by the time a long-term relationship with a woman I was with ended, we had a home together and everything. When I was about 40, I was 12 years sober. And it was so devastating, the, the relationship ending, that I ended up relapsing with alcohol. And so the roller coaster started again, and the, the weight went I gained all my weight back and I, one more time I was back up to 300 pounds and I got back, uh, thank God, I got back into recovery and lost my weight and have kept it off, but I was still struggling. And so anyway, you know, the, my, the struggle after that was really anxiety, relationship issues. I still struggled with food, uh, social anxiety. And it, I just thought it was just one more personal growth thing I needed to overcome. And so, um, when I turned 57, so, you know, this is 30 years after I originally found recovery, I read The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, which is all about healing childhood trauma. And I, even buying the book, I didn't even think it would apply to me. I just love reading about psychology, and I noticed trauma was a more prominent, you know, topic. And so I start reading or listening to this book on Audible, and I'm like, oh, my God. I don't have to have physical or sexual abuse to be a trauma survivor because that's what I, I just assumed I, you know, had to have that type of trauma. And I had been in therapy off and on for many years and none of the therapists ever mentioned 
that trauma could be an issue, uh, even knowing my history. So, you know, learning at 57 after 30 years that I was suffering from complex PTSD and that had I had had I been diagnosed, you know, 30 years earlier, I could have gotten proper trauma treatments because, you, you know, talk therapy cannot or 12 step cannot completely heal trauma. That's what I also learned, too. It would have saved me a huge amount of suffering. So I'm like, I've got to write a book about this. You know, more people need to know about it. And also just need to know about the link between the direct scientific link between obesity, addiction, substances, uh, relationship difficulties, anxiety, uh, because yeah. I had so much shame about it. And so, you know, uh, that's why I wrote the book. It, it's like nobody, so I could help other survivors heal sooner and also find the right solutions to heal their mm -hmm. trauma as well as their issues with food, substances, and relationships. Yeah, this is really compelling. It really ties to the conversations that me and my co-host Matthew have had in, in January around intergenerational transmission of trauma. And um, and this is something that I've talked about at length uh, professionally. And you hit on really the, the different ways that trauma is passed on through generations. One, through social learning, meaning the children um, in a household really model their behaviors after the adults in the space. Right. Um, and so when you talk about um, your father um, using food as a coping mechanism and your mother using alcohol as a coping mechanism, this is then passed on through just observation that you learn, yeah. as a child, this is how I solve my problems. This is how I do it. Yeah, and smoking problem. cigarettes too. They both smoked. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, and I think that, you know, more needs to be, um, you know, it, it needs to be common knowledge in the field of mental health and psychology that as we um, encounter individuals who are coming for counseling or coming for, for help and are going through recovery, that we are screening for um, childhood trauma and, and that we are diligent in really making the connections because what we end up doing is misdiagnosing, even with the examples that I gave before with young um, young black men in, in our, um, you know, juvenile injustice <laughs> um, mm -hmm. services is that, you know, we have to be able to say that childhood trauma and, and all of the, um, you know, effects that it has on the brain and the body are, are at play in mm -hmm. lots of different behaviors um, and, and that healing the root cause is, is kind of the, the first step. And unfortunately, we're not uh, at the place where our mental health systems and um, the field of psychology is, is, is doing its due diligence to, to screen. Uh, mm -hmm. You talked a bit about, um, you know, how your childhood trauma impacted your relationships. And, and so mm -hmm. what does that look like for you when you, when it comes to maintaining healthy relationships, um, be they personal or professional? Well, what, what was so interesting through all the studying, because I like, I literally became a, a complex trauma student for like five years and studied all kinds of authors and experts on different aspects of trauma, including relational trauma. And just the, just learning that childhood trauma is relational trauma was sort of an eye opener yeah. for me. And, and the reason it's relational trauma is because it happens in the context of close relationships over long periods of time. 
And so what I what I realized after understanding this was that when I would get into close relationships with people, and I didn't know it at the time, I would be having trauma responses. I would my my nervous system was getting activated because mm-hmm. of that's what I was I it needed to to protect myself as a child, and it would make me want to distance myself from people or um, get. Uh, I would get triggered about different interactions I would have with people thinking that the present, the presenting issue was the issue when it was really uh, most of the time just my previous trauma, you know, and it was playing out uh, in sensations in my body and in my mind. And um, so I I lost a lot of relationships. I mean, I I had several long-term relationships, but the same themes would come up. And now looking back, I realized that we were both triggering each other's trauma and getting um, and thinking that it was the relationship versus we were having visceral nervous system reactions because of unhealed trauma. So um, today, I really, uh, I've learned a lot about attachment trauma. And um, I mean, one thing I share about in my book is the whole point the whole reason I used food and then later drugs and alcohol was to soothe the part of me that couldn't get that soothing and comfort from my parents. So it was like a substitute relationship because when you have parents that are too drunk or too just shut down to connect with you and support you, you have to find something to regulate yourself. And so that, that that's what I used and it saved me, but then it became a problem as an adult. So the point of a big part of healing trauma is learning how to identify, understanding the body, brain, mind aspects of relational trauma and understanding how to engage with safe people, how to connect with yourself and reconnect with other people that are safe. And um, a big part of uh, my recovery in AA, I didn't realize this until I understood the trauma stuff, was developing safe relationships. And, um, but even now that I understand how trauma works, like I've been in a relationship with my partner, Maria for five years, and she understands complex trauma, you know, now that I've written this book and I talk about it all the time. Um, And so we understand our our attachment styles too, which is important because I have, my initial style was an anxious, insecure, anxious style, which means that I was exposed to a mother that was inconsistent with her availability. And so I can get triggered by any sense of distance from my partner. And one of the things that really helps Maria and I is, is it's okay for me to say, Hey, if I sense distance from her, are we okay? You know, and she's fine with saying, absolutely. I'm here. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. Or if there is an issue with the relationship, she'll, you know, say, Hey, yeah, this was getting on me and we'll talk about it. And with her, she has an, a, an avoidant, her initial style was avoidant. We're, we're a lot more securely attached now, but I think with stress, you can regress into it. So she tends to avoid, like want more space and stuff. And so for her to feel safe, I need to be okay with her saying, I need to take space and not get pissed off at her or whatever. So the point yeah. is, is now in relationships, I'm really mindful when I go to parties or when I meet new people to notice how my nervous system feels, how my body feels. Um, 
And I, it, I've just had so many insights. And But at the same time, healing relational trauma is the key to healing the stuff with food, drugs, alcohol. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is extremely important for our audience um, because often when we talk about trauma, we talk about the physical symptoms, right? We talk about, you know, maybe... Uh, insomnia or heart twisting yeah. or you know the impact on our on our nervous system but when we look at the um the big picture and the symptoms of of trauma in our society one of the most um you know overlooked is relationship difficulties. oh my god totally yeah we often don't talk about the importance of you know when we have um individuals who have had some type of childhood trauma their inability to um, to create or maintain relationships yep. is often the driver of many other issues in their lives. And um, because relationships are so central to healing, the inability to keep or maintain them or to create them can be really impactful over the lifespan. So um, it's, you know, when I um, discuss or consult um, on trauma or present um, on trauma, especially historical or intergenerational trauma, it, you know, I always highlight that the most impactful um, symptom of trauma is going to be really relationship difficulty. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, like for me, uh, I, once I learned about the relational trauma, I remember thinking, oh my God, no wonder I had so few close friends. Mm-hmm. And when I look back on it, what I could see was I would have these close friendships and then something would happen where they would mm-hmm. behave in a way that would bug me or trigger me. But the idea of confronting it was so overwhelming and triggering for me. I felt like I had no other choice other than to back away and let the relationship die. And so uh, now I understand what that is and I have the tools to calm my nervous system down to have safe conversations so that I can repair stuff that is bothering me. But back then I just, it was, cause I knew I love, I love being with people, but I'm like, why don't I have more friends, you know? And mm-hmm. I would look at all these friends that I had let go of and that was why. And, and so it's so wonderful now to understand this. And, and now the majority of my close friends are in the trauma recovery field. And so they're so safe and so wonderful. And um, it's just so easy to repair stuff as it comes up. And yeah. 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 The, you know, and especially, you know, I always try to remind people that your first relationships are with your, your first caregivers and your parents. And so this is your model as you move forward into the world. And, and if that relationship is not optimal or has issues with attachment, whatever they may be, um, be it, uh, you know, in your um, background, you talked about alcoholism, which is definitely uh, an issue when it comes to um, not having a secure attachment. Um, Right. You know, your, your parent is um, not always available, even if they're in the space. And so, um, it's very important to recognize that that distance is is a trigger because children are very much aware that their parents are mm-hmm. preoccupied or distant, whatever they're preoccupied with, be it drugs and alcohol, but also it could be their own trauma. So you said oh, you know, yeah. in your space, when you um, were able to get out into the world and, and develop relationships that you 
you know, may notice, you know, become anxious. So your anxiousness may be a trigger for someone else. Yeah. People are distant. um, They isolate. Um, Those are also different um, coping mechanisms, just like drugs and alcohol. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the the thing that I recognized once I learned about relational trauma too, was um, when a conflict would come up in a long-term friendship, I didn't realize that I was having a trauma trigger from my childhood because my parents had chronic conflict. It never got resolved. And so in my mind, you know, I didn't know that 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 was replaying. I was reliving that visceral experience when conflict would come up. So, of course, I would avoid it. And um, now I understand it. And now I look at it as an opportunity for a corrective experience. Um, But it wasn't until I, you know, learned that I had trauma and it was relational and that, that it's so important to heal. And um, so, you know, it's so sad when I think about so many people that either avoid relationships or stay in toxic or unfulfilling relationships mm-hmm. because they just don't have any other tools to get the support they need to find the healing. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's an extremely important topic because um, often we tend to think of our childhood as being disconnected from our adult selves. Yeah. Uh, and we also, we often believe that we've learned the lesson from, from our parents and their interactions. Right. Um, but when it comes to trauma and it definitely, when it just comes to just, you know, our social learning, the patterns that we establish as children, what we decide is, uh, or not decide it's, 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 it's essentially unconscious. Um, but what we, we see modeled um, to us as children really becomes our kind of our default. And so oh, yeah. in a lot of effort. Um, and, and I think it also really goes back to the, to the saying that, you know, healing happens in relationships. Um, yes, absolutely. In order for us to heal, we have to be in relationship to allow that to happen. And if our um, childhood um, trauma is a, is, is a barrier to creating the relationships that allow, that allow us to heal, then we can get caught in a cycle. Um, I know, like, trauma. I, well, like Bessel van der Kolk had, uh, made this statement that was so profound for me. He says that we have to have a visceral experience that contradicts what we experienced mm-hmm. as a child in our relationships. So it can't just be, oh, I understand trauma now, so I'm good. No, you got to go in and have that visceral, safe, corrective experience. And um, yeah, so... Um, I'm I'm just, uh, that was a huge breakthrough for me to understand about the relational trauma. And now, and the other thing about it is it made me realize that close relationships aren't just a nice to have, they're Mm -hmm. an absolute requirement for my health and my well-being. I mean, before learning about trauma, I thought, well, you know, you know, I like having friends and stuff like that. But now I get, they're like, as important as air and water. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. The, the research on this is very compelling when we look at, um, I remember this is when I was first starting out as a psychology professor, I'm a, I'm big on research. And so I would have my students do a lot of research. And so articles would come to me around, you know, well-being that it clearly stated that having friendships was just as important as exercise and a, and, a, and a healthy diet when it came to longevity. Yeah. And I thought that that was extremely interesting. And at that point, 
I did not have kind of like the trauma chops that I have now. I was really just getting started. Mm-hmm. And so when we couple that that science with the understanding that healing happens within relationship, then this is what we're really saying is that people who have the ability to maintain relationships um, are able to heal um, from their, you know, their past trauma. And they're able to uh, have, you know, mirrors and sounding boards and people around them that push them to also to evolve. And so I think, you know, it's exciting when we couple our experience with the clear science around um, Mm -hmm. well-being and longevity that clearly states that relationships are just as important, like you said, um, just as important as as exercise, a good diet, um, you know, air is a a part of our human makeup. We are exactly people. Well, and and that's, you know, now that learning about trauma helped me really understand the value of getting of the relationship that I developed, uh, like AA and OA and different 12-step groups. Um, the biggest value of that was developing safe relationships because that's what you use instead of the food, drugs, or alcohol. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like if you can find a way to regulate your nervous system in a healthy way, like through a person or just with your own self-care and self-compassion, you don't need to turn to the drugs, the food or the alcohol, you know, as much or at all. Um, I mean, and the other thing I think it's important to talk about with addiction is, um, you know, when you're dealing with a serious uh, substance use disorder, um, you're also, it's, you, now you have two, two things, diseases to deal with. You've got complex PTSD, and you've got the brain disease of addiction. And so um, I, I talk a lot about that in my book because there's so much stigma and shame in our culture about addiction. I don't know if you're aware of this, but 50% of the population still believes that addiction is a choice. Yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, that's obviously why, you know, there's so many people dying of, of obesity related causes and uh, substance use disorders. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm a big proponent of, um, harm reduction, uh, you know, like I had weight loss surgery when I was 40, which was a pure harm reduction, you know, intervention for me. And thank God I did because, um, you know, I don't know, I I didn't know I had trauma at that point. But frankly, I don't know, even if I did, um, because of the brain changes, because of the, yeah. you know, impulse, impulse, yeah. impulse control deficits from the way brain changes the trauma or the brain. Um, I don't know if, if I would have really been able to put the brakes on. And so the surgery does for me what I can't do for myself. And, and yes, I mean, the, the deal with weight loss surgery is about 50% studies show 50% of people will gain about 50% of their weight back after 10 years. So I've been able to maintain my, all of my 160 pound weight loss. And I'm firm, firmly convinced it's because I've been, hugely involved with my own healing and personal growth and now trauma healing. So I'm finding other ways to soothe myself. But the point is I want a big, a big part of my message is to let people that are struggling with uh, obesity or addiction to know that it's not their fault. You know, they're not alone. 10% of people, literally 10% of people struggle with substance addiction or severe obesity. And, um, and all the stigma and shame that goes with it. So, um, and that there is, there are ways to heal. I used abuse with alcohol. I relapsed in alcohol after 12 years. Another, that's a medication-assisted therapy, believe it or not. Anything that you can use yeah. that's 
you know, so I've never been able to rein in my addictions on my own. I always have needed help, whether it's 12 step, and abuse, weight loss surgery, whatever. And there's no shame in that because it's like, I mean, if you had a traumatic brain injury, would you expect someone not to get, you know, medical treatment for it, you know? So anyway, um, the point is, is uh, I just, I just want to make sure that people that are struggling with these things, know they're not alone. They're not bad or broken. The normal response, their symptoms are a normal response to experiencing a crazy childhood. Yeah. Anyway. That's a great message. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, about your experiences and delve a little bit into, you know, the conversation that you had about um, really experiencing um, some homophobia when you were when you were younger as well. Okay. So please join us after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In this polarizing age of misinformation, it is critical to examine the lessons of the past on history, culture, and trauma. Ingrid Cochran, CEO of Paces Connection, and her guests will explore historical trauma and outline how our collective past shades our perception of today's world and our shared experiences. In this podcast, we will examine the impact of past atrocious cultural events and the impact of the systemic trauma of racism and poverty on the human experience. Ingrid and her guest will also outline what is needed for our collective healing. Please join us for History, Culture, and Trauma, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We are talking with Mira Giuliani today, author of It's Not About Food, Drugs, or Alcohol. It's About Healing Complex PTSD. Uh, In our first segment, Mira, you talked a little bit about experiencing um, homophobia in your childhood. And I think that is something that we want to to come back to. Uh, Like I said before, we've had a lot of discussions, uh, Matthew and I, around intergenerational Um, transmission of trauma and historical trauma. And uh, the experiences um, with homophobia in our society is definitely considered a a historically traumatic event. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about your experience with that sure. uh, and what you can share with our audience. Okay, great. Um, I woke up one morning when I was 14 and I was recalling a dream I had the night before and it revealed to me, it was like this se- sexual kind of dream with a woman or, you know, and at first I was like, wow, I mean, this feels really good. But once I kind of came to, you know, out of that sort of erotic bliss, I realized, oh my God, what does this mean? Does this mean I'm a lesbian? And um, the idea of it horrified me because at the time I was attending a Catholic high school, I had, I had already, I'd already had, I went to Catholic grade school as well and catechism and, you know, it was totally a sin and you're going to go to hell and, um, and what would my family and friends think? And so I just wrote it off as a dream. And okay, well, it was just a dream. It doesn't mean anything. Well, the next year in my sophomore year of high school, this girl in my first period class is, uh, I'm just like completely smitten and realizing, oh my God, I really am attracted to <laughs> women. And so um, I just had a lot of shame about it. There was nothing on TV. There was no Ellen. There was no, I mean, literally this is 1972. Uh, the Stonewall riots gave the birth of the gay movement was only three years before this. And get this, I did some research on this. In the, the psychiatric history of homo- homosexuality, it was, it was considered a, a sexual deviation in the DSM that was coupled with other, it was a subgroup that included pedophilia, I mean, we were grouped in with pedophiles. I mean, so, you know, of course I was freaked out about coming out. And um, anyway, so I I kept it a secret until I was about 19. I only told one close friend. And I didn't realize that just having to hide an essential part of who I was was so damaging. But um, you know, like in my work environments, I'd, I'd always like when people would say, oh, do you have a boyfriend? And I'd say no, or like, even though I was in a long-term relationship with a woman. And um, so there's just this, and, and then the sexual shaming of it too, with, with the Catholic church of um, just there's a sexual shaming, even if you're straight, but being a lesbian, it's even worse. And so, um, you know, I, I actually found some interesting research uh, that, uh, LGBTQ folks have a 50% higher rate of substance use disorders and mental health issues. And it really speaks to the trauma, or I guess in this case, uh, microaggressions, which is like structural homophobia, which basically puts out the message that who you are is not okay. And um, so, yeah, it was it was a really painful time. And I'm thrilled as much progress as we've made in the gay community. And yet at the same time, um, you know, I couldn't like, I, I, I honestly, it wasn't until I think Obama came out about being okay with gay marriage that I really felt like pretty confident to hold my girlfriend's hand when we walked down the street. And, but, you know, I was already 50 something by then. So, um, you know, anytime the the trauma piece about this is what I learned is that every, you know, we're always, we're, our our nervous system is always scanning for what's safe and what's not safe. 
And if you're a gay person and you feel like people aren't going to accept you, you're going to be in like a, a sort of a hyper aroused, vigilant state, you know. And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a very interesting struggle, but I I feel like I've come a long way. And yet there's so many people, I mean, so like my partner, you know, didn't come out, you know, out of, out of her marriage until for 30 years. And so... There's so many people that have so much shame about being true to themselves that they stay in relationships with people because of their family or their religion, or they might, I mean, some people risk, I mean, even today can risk losing their lives just for being, uh, you know, honest about who they are. So it's, it's, it's a horrible, horrible uh, thing that, that is still alive. And, um, and I'm just grateful that, I feel a sense of okayness about this today. So, yeah, I think it's important what you said around like kind of the microaggressions that go along with heteronormativity um, that they're and and also like this um, low level stress that you feel all the time or hypervigilance um, because, it you know, again, this is another um, point where the science is there that uh, when we have low level stress all the time that goes along with experiencing homophobia, racism, sexism, um, the the stress, the low level ongoing stress of living in poverty, these um, cause allostatic load. It's it's a wear yep. and tear on our on our on our DNA from from our environment yep. and how we perceive our environment. Will we perceive to be safe versus unsafe? And um, and so this is really impacting the health and well-being of of people and it manifests as kind of like what you said mental illness it also manifests in shortening of the lifespan and um, mm-hmm. the use of substances and um and well, definitely yeah. suicide and suicide Absol- oh god it's so much higher i mean just a really quick story that you hear i'm thinking okay i've overcome homophobia my internalized homophobia so Maria and I are on this cruise. This is just like less than a year ago. And before you sign up, it says, are you celebrating anything? Well, we were celebrating an anniversary. And so they were really cool. They had neat things in our room, you know, celebrating us. Well, when it came time to be at the public dining room for dinner where they bring you a cake, <laughs> when you're surrounded with like seven other, eight other people, I, you know, I knew, you know, that it was basically us going to be coming out. And I thought, okay, well, I'm okay with it, I think, you know. So anyway, we're sitting there and here comes the waiters with this anniversary cake. And there's there were no, there were two other straight couples sitting next to us. And I knew that they were both from very what's known as very conservative states. <laughs> and so I noticed during the whole dinner, I was really nervous about that that cake coming. And I'm like, oh, my God, I, I didn't realize it was still so alive in me. I, I'm never going to see these people again, right? But it was still alive in me, that sense of, oh, my God, what are they going to do? So they bring the cake, and the, there's like five waiters singing happy anniversary. They put it in front of my partner, Maria, and I. Well, before they did that, the couples looked at each other like, oh, are, is it your anniversary? Or is it, they, Like, well, it couldn't be for us. <laughs> I mean, right? They put it in front of us, and they're like, oh, <laughs> and the women in the couple were like, oh, well, congratulations. That's awesome. And the men were completely silent. Yeah. And anyway, but it, it was just, a, you know, it helped me realize that, you know, you can take the 
<laughs> well, like you can take homosexuality out of the uh, the DSM, but it's not as easy to take uh, the homophobia out of the culture, right? Yes. And so, um, and and it made me really, you know, just mindful of wow, I, I still, you know, um, I still feel uncomfortable with that, and um, and yet, you know, I've, I've come a long way. But I mean, before I wouldn't have even had that kind of thing. But it kind of just shows you how. When you don't feel, I mean, I guess that's the example of my nervous system knew I may be in danger with potentially very conservative people, you know? So anyway. Yeah, I think, um, I think this is, um, this, I, I appreciate your story. And you know, obviously when we think about all the different ways that this manifests, I mean, this is something that people of color also say a lot when they come into a room and they're like the only person of color in the room and they mm -hmm. feel it in their bodies. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, this is uh, a, a reflection of feeling unsafe that our, our nervous systems are activated because we mm -hmm. perceive that it's not a safe space, regardless of whether it's a safe space or not, our bodies right. are still going to have that reaction. I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing the story. And I think it is a reflection of how important it is that we um, address these types of attitudes in our society, that mm -hmm. the beliefs and attitudes that then trickle down into procedures, policies, and 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 things of that nature, and politics, you know, like yeah. you know, our 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 belief in you know liberal versus conservative and things of that nature, and then bleeds down into how we we treat individuals. And it's very important mm -hmm. that we that we that we see the big picture. Absolutely. That, we, um, that if we want to be a, a society that is trauma aware, healing, mm -hmm. centered, trauma informed, all the different, mm -hmm. uh, all the different words that we use to, to, um, to, to kind of, you know, uh, very clearly outline this movement that we're, that we're you know, mm -hmm. part of and uh, what we're aspiring to in our society that young people seem to, you know, really be kind of there, but. Um, I know. I, yeah. I, it's, I mean, you know, so, so interesting about it is part of me is thrilled for them. And the other part of me is pissed off that I didn't get that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? It's like when I was 16, I couldn't hold my girlfriend's hand or I got, I, you know, or, you know, or whatever. And like, yeah. they get to live their lives in this totally safe, you know. I well, mean, safe, most, safer, like, safer, safer, but yeah, yeah but yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate your story, and I definitely hope that it resonates with our audience and the understanding of of what heteronormativity does um, with within our society, the microaggressions that people experience because of it, and how it does create feelings of being unsafe, even though we've made a lot of progress. Um, right, right. So I know that we are um, nearing the end of our time together, and I want to um, spend the rest of our time really focusing on what did it look like for you to heal and recover? What does that, you know, what did that sure. look like in real life? Uh, can you tell us more, um, more about your kind of healing process from sure. when it comes to trauma, specifically, you know, when it comes to um, obesity, um, you know, what sure. did healing look like for you? Well, you know, what's so interesting is reading The Body Keeps the Score and then some of Pete Walker's books. Uh, he's a trauma therapist, uh, complex PTSD from surviving to thriving and um, some of these books. What was so interesting is I hadn't started implementing specific trauma therapies or practices, but I was like feeling a lot better. Like, like what, what is this? You know? 
And what I realized what was happening was that learning that that having having a coherent narrative as to what happened to me and how it explained why I struggled in the way I did, why I coped in the way I did, um, was automatically rewriting my self-narrative and giving me a sense of compassion and a sense of, it was um, hugely de-shaming um, because it was like, oh my God, my uh, drinking and drug and obesity issues were never my fault. Of course, they're my responsibility to heal, but just having, I had to have proof that they weren't my fault. And that's what learning about the direct link, the scientific evidence of impulse control deficits, of brain changes with addiction becoming a brain disease. Um, it was like so de-shaming that I finally was able to, um, so just that, I, I think, honestly, I mean, Pete Walker talks about this. A huge part of healing is having a, a, a coherent narrative uh, where you see what happened to you in a, in a place of self-compassion. And then, um, you, you know, you got to do other things too, but that's the first piece. Um, you know, I had gotten sober many years before this, so I would have approached my sobriety a lot differently if I had known about the trauma. But I still really heavily believe that um, putting yourself in an environment with other people that are committed to being sober is super powerful. Um, because all my friends, once I got into AA, all my friends were sober people. And it, it really gave me the experience of learning to have a really good time being sober. Because the thing about even thinking about getting sober is, I, I think most people can attest to this. It's like, oh my God, am I going to sign up for a completely boring, depressing, you know, life of like just hell or, you know, is it even worth it, you know? And uh, even though I was already in hell with, you know, my drinking thing. Um, and right, and yet, you know, you go to, you get to know these people at these uh, AA groups. They become your best friends, and you're having a blast with a bunch of people in recovery. So that was really key. Um, and also, the twelve steps uh, was really helpful in helping me de-shame. Like the fourth step is your inventory of your the past things you did that you have shame about, and sharing that in a safe place. And so. Um, that was a really key piece of my initial recovery, like the first four or five years. Um, and then I got into all kinds of other, I did a lot of therapy, a lot of other personal growth types of things. But once I learned I had trauma, I understood that I needed to approach my recovery from a brain and body and mind standpoint, not just the psych, you know, I talk therapy or personal growth book kind of thing. So that's when I learned, um, I started implementing somatic mindfulness, just like really feeling the sensations in my body. I had, I had no idea how disconnected I was from my body until I learned about trauma. Also, I got into doing yoga, uh, which helped me get more into my body. It also helped me develop a, a you know, breath practice as well. Um, I also uh, got into neurofeedback, uh, which was really helpful in, you know, helping me sleep without meds, helping me um, feel safer in social environments. So neurofeedback, for those of you that don't know, it's a, a form of biofeedback where it's it helps you, basically it fine tunes your brain to be, be to fire at frequencies that are optimal. Because the, here's the bottom line, is when we're hyper aroused from trauma reactions, 
that's why we reach for, you know, drugs, food, alcohol, or unhealthy things. And so neurofeedbacks helps retune the brain to operate at a, a frequency that's optimal so that you won't feel the impulse to regulate yourself because you're more regulated already. So neurofeedback, I actually bought my own system and trained myself how to use it. Well, I got mentoring on how to use it at home. Um, what else? Uh, just uh, a lot of somatic types of uh, therapies, uh, internal uh, family systems with Richard Schwartz. Um, I, I did a lot of um, trauma, uh, attachment trauma work. So everything, by the way, is um, I, I list every single therapy that's evidence-based, trauma-informed in my book. Because the book, my book is really part memoir, part science-based research, and part healing guide. It's a complex PTSD workbook. There's like worksheets and quiz, quizzes, questionnaires. You can take the ACE test in it. You can do a complex PTSD quiz in it. Um, and I, I have a whole menu of 36 items to choose from, categorized by, okay, I want to work on the brain aspects of my trauma. So look at EMDR or look at uh, neurofeedback or look at whatever it is. And then I have like relational healing aspects. You know, the thing is, is if you don't look at what kind of relationships you're engaging in, if they're, if they're unhealthy, it's going to keep your trauma alive. So looking at what kind of health you have in your relationships, and I have worksheets on how to heal and attract the kind of people that are going to be healthy for you. Also uh, looking at um, physical health and self-care, um, how to develop a self-care practice involving sleep, um, healthy food, exercise, um, minimizing screen time and cable news shows. <laughs> Basically you, you just want to like, you know, I mean, if they don't call it a complex post-traumatic stress disorder for nothing. So you want to minimize stress, <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, literally just stopping watching my cable, my favorite cable news anchor brought my anxiety level down quite a bit. Um, not to say I don't every now and then, but I, I know now, oh my God, here's the thing. They literally know how to jack up your nervous system you know, on these, these shows. And when you're hyper aroused, you're just always going to be like looking for threats. And so then the next breaking news comes and there's a threat, but then they always bring in a protector, but the president's going to help us or the Congress is going to help us. You're like, Oh God, no, there's another breaking news. <laughs> so I really got, I, I really got hip to what, what, how manipulated I was allowing myself to be anyway. So I really cut down on that. Um, and uh, yeah, and just really taking a look at the groups and the organizations and even maybe the religions that you're in that are that are shaming, that are that are toxic for you. Um, also, um, you know, the other cool thing about trauma healing is once you clear away the shame for, for all the ways we coped, I mean, even if you don't have alcohol or drug or food problems, um, we have to cope in whatever way. And it's usually if it's not that, it's gonna be work or stressful relationships, you, you have to um, really take a look at how to heal those. And, um, you know, finding a way to uh, get yourself on a recovery path is really key. I cover all of the ways I've got the worksheets on your recovery goals in the book. And once you heal all that stuff, it can open up, which it did for me, my purpose. 
I'd been really looking for my purpose as a, a coach for a long time. And once I learned I had trauma, as Wayne Dyer would say, I found my music in me. <laughs> and um, it was like, oh, my God, this is what I'm meant to do is to educate people about this and help them heal through the coaching I do, the speaking I do, the book that I've, I've written. And um, it clears away all that stuff that's been shackling you down and preventing you from really, you know, getting regulated so that you can get clear and passionate about what you're meant to contribute to the world. Yes, and I, I definitely appreciate you sharing this book with the world, sharing your recovery and your story. Uh, is there anything, you know, how do we get this book? How do we get in, get information sure. from you before we close out? Sure, it's on Amazon.com in ebook or paperback. So you can either look it up under the name. It's not about food, drugs, or alcohol. It's about healing complex PTSD, or under my name, Mary Giuliani, G-I-U-L-I-A-N-I. And um, also my website, MaryGiuliani.net. I have a ton of free resources there, CPTSD quizzes, ACE study quizzes, um, and I've got links to the book there. And I think the main thing I want people to really get is if you had a difficult childhood, just know that you're not alone. You're not, it's not your fault. You're not bad or broken and you can heal. Perfect. That's perfect. Thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with us. Um, I'm excited to hear about the launch of your book. Uh, again, um, we value your vulnerability and transparency and sharing your story. I think that as we um, move forward and as individuals and look at our and examine our own trauma and, and what we need to heal, I think that the more of us who are able to tell our story, the more we can release shame and be able oh my to God. live full lives, live full lives. So thank you so much, Mary, You're for welcome. coming today. Thank and you for having thank me. you to our audience um, for listening. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the show today. We hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We wish you a beautiful week.